What an incredible week. What a great time it is for us to be joining together. You know what? I was um, just uh, working with some of our media guys for a few minutes. By the way, I just want to say thank you to all of our media guys and personnel that are behind the wall, in the sound booth, everywhere, that do an incredible job to help us. So much of our church family is not yet in church with us, and I believe that more and more are beginning to come and gather, feel safe to come. We do everything we can here every week uh, to make this building as safe as possible. We have outside companies come in and sanitize, and we have prayer teams that come in and run devils out. Sometimes I trust the prayer teams more than I do the sanitizing team. But we have incredible things that happen, so we're grateful for those of you that are in our building. But you know what? I was watching in the back, just going through, and we had people today. Right now online, we have people from Holland, all over the UK, the Jersey Channel Islands, Scotland, Suriname. I think it was eight different countries and 15 different states that are watching us right now. So come on, let's welcome all of our online guests today. That was incredible. Honored and blessed to have them as a part. As I uh, as I open the word today, I'm beginning a new series of messages that I think will be very strategic for us as a church family. I uh, I recognize that over the course of time, how many of you found out that once you became a Christian, your circle of influence with people that were not Christians oftentimes can reduce itself. If you're not careful, we find ourselves pretty much beginning to live inside of a Christian bubble because all of our friends and colleagues, uh, we may work with people, but we spend majority of our free time uh, with people that are believers because of the, the call to being a part of a community. But the Lord really spoke to Kathy and I, and by the way, thank you for praying for my wife. She is uh, doing better and we have made progress in her medical reports and have a surgery date scheduled that will happen. So thank God. That was several hoops that had to get over. So uh, that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So thank you for praying for her. Uh, she sends her love today. But one of the things that her and I have been praying about is the fact that in a culture where there's so many voices, how do you become a person who's heard? The Bible says there are many voices that have gone out and, and none of those voices are without significance. In other words, every voice that comes into your life has an agenda. If you don't believe that CNN, Fox News, ABC, CBS has an agenda, it's not just to report the news. They have an agenda to make money. So how many of you know that good news doesn't sell ads? Am I doing okay? If you fill the whole day with just good things and warm feelings of things that went well, you would never get big companies to sell ads because nobody watches that. So we have to find the most sensational things we can find in order to really begin to make money because their agenda is to make money. I mean, if you know, every politician, it doesn't matter what party you're a part of, has an agenda. They want your support. I found myself as an exile in the political system. I really don't have a home. Because how many of you know that if you really are a Christ follower, you can find a lot of things in this Bible that both parties stand for and both parties violate. But I found out that there are voices and that the church has to have a voice. But more than the church having a voice, I'm believing over these next several weeks that we can awaken your voice because you have a voice. That was a really good place to say amen. You really have a voice. You, you may feel like your influence stops at the curb, but it does go somewhere. Every person in this room has influence. Our series is called The Witness. The Witness. Everybody shout influence. Come on, say it out loud. Those of you at home, just say it in your house. Just say it one more time with me, everybody. Influence. How many of you know when we're parents, 
All the parents in here, raise your hand. If you're a parent, you have a child that's ever went to school, hold your hand up high. How many of you know that every parent in this room, if a school teacher or a principal ever called you and told you that your child had been misbehaving or somehow got in trouble, you immediately wanted to know who it was that influenced them. Because every parent believes my child would never do that unless somebody influenced them. Am I telling the truth? Come on now. Because, because all of our children are perfect. And if they're good, it's because they're under my parental authority. Huh? I mean, if they've got parents like me, they can't help but be good. I mean, one of mine was out here today. I just blew my whole sermon right there. Never mind. Forget that I said that. But we, we tend to believe that if they're under my authority, they're going to be good. And if they're bad, it's because they're under somebody else's influence. But history has proven to us that there is a greater magnetic pull towards influence than there is towards authority. Sometimes we believe if I have enough authority... I can make things be the way I want them to be. But the truth of the matter is, history's not changed by authority. History's changed by influence. Let that sink in. The people that rewrote history were not always the people that were in the positions of authority. But they were people that had influence. And I want to say boldly today that we are going to seize. This is a prophetic word. We are about to enter into divine moments. You as a family are about to enter into divine moments. Some of you as individuals are about to enter into divine moments. But if we are going to seize divine moments, how many of you know influence must be understood and it has to be vital in our life for us to enter into those divine moments? God created humanity. Watch this. God created humanity to influence. And he created you to be influenced. In other words, he didn't create you as a robot. He created you with the ability to reason, think, feel, to understand, to have emotions. And how many of you know sometimes, uh, let, me, let me just give you an illustration. How many of you know that every place you eat tries to influence you while you're there? How many of you know the music at McDonald's is totally different than the music at a five-star restaurant? Hmm? If you ever go to a fast food restaurant, they got upbeat. They're, they're probably playing hip-hop. They're playing something. Why? That's got beat to it because they're trying to get you in and get you out. But when you go to a five-star restaurant or a four-star restaurant, they're playing slow jazz because they're not trying to get you in a hurry. Because the longer you stay there, the more you'll eat and the more you'll buy dessert. Come on, somebody help me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because they're trying to subtly influence you. When you go into a mall, how many of you know that they don't put mannequins in the back that's got the sale items on it? They put them up front. Why? Because they're trying to influence you. Why are there thousands of billboards all over the highways? It's because we were built to be influenced and we were built to influence. That means that every one of us in this room, whether consciously or unconsciously, are influencing the world we live in. Sometimes we do it out of default, meaning that we lean into our dark side and we influence things in a negative. You ever, you, ever, you ever had somebody in your family that when they showed up, you went, oh no, here we go. I know this is going to be a bad day because the next half hour, all I'm going to hear is complaining and griping and negativity. Why? Because they, by default, lean into their dark side and they influence the room whether they realize it or not. In, in, anybody other than me got family members, when you see them coming, you know, okay, here it, here it comes right now. There are certain people, when you call them, you just know they're going to say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. How you doing? I mean, you, you can even say it with a cheerful voice. How you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. 
What do they do? They influence things. How many of you know there are other people who by intention walk into places and determine that it may be a gloomy day, it may be a difficult situation, people may be confused, people may be under pressure, but I'm going to come in this room and I'm going to lighten the load because I'm going to intentionally learn to influence the environment that I'm in. Am I talking to anybody in the room? Well, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want us to look at something that Paul said about influencers. The book of Thessalonians is an interesting book. It's not very long. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And let me just give you quickly a little bit of background about Thessalonica. Today it's called Thessaloniki. Let me tell you where it's at. It's in the north of Greece. In the days of the Bible, what we call today Greece was divided into two different countries or two different regions, maybe would be better said. The top of Greece was known as Macedonia. The bottom of Greece was known as Achaia. The largest city in Macedonia was Thessalonica. The largest city in Achaia was Corinth. Both of them were major commerce cities. Even in Paul the Apostle's day, I've been in Thessalonica on a couple of occasions, and even today it's a major busy metropolitan city. But in Paul's day, Thessalonica had over 200,000 residents. It was a large city. It was a metropolitan area. And it was, it was a melting pot of all kinds of people. In other words, in Thessalonica, you would have had, I don't know how many of you studied these guys, but you would have had barbaric Germanic people. That would have been all the folks that had migrated from Scandinavian countries from as far away as Norway, possibly where the Vikings came from, Sweden, uh, middle and parts of Germany, all the way from the UK. They migrated into this part of the Middle East. And they migrated there because of trade and because of things that were going on. You also had Greeks from the south who had come up, that had come up from Athens. So you had the influence of these warring Germanic people in the city. You had the influence of these philosophers that had come up with the ideology of the Greeks and all of their temples and all of their gods and all of the people that they looked at. And then you also had the Romans who had come from the east, they, uh, from the west, they had moved eastward. Most of the people in Thessalonica that were from the Roman Empire were retired people that had had places of standing. In the, in the Roman Empire. So they brought wealth with them, they brought influence and prestige with them, and they were very controlling. You also had Jewish people. By this time, they, they believed that 20% of the city at least was probably Jewish. So you got 200,000 people, you got 40,000 Jewish people that are living in Thessalonica. So you had the influence of all the things that come with Judaism. You say, what does that mean? Well, how many of you know that the, stay with me because this is America. I'm giving you a picture of America right now. Because really the, the Germanic people were barbaric. They had no kind of gods. They were totally just people led by superstition. You had the, the Greeks who actually were polytheistic. They had multiple gods. You had the Romans who had a Caesar mentality that believed he was the God in, in person. He actually was called Lord. And then you had these Jewish people come into town who were monotheistic. In other words, they believed that the, the Lord is one. And they came not only and brought this belief system that there was only one true and living God, but they also brought with them their racial and national biases prejudices because they didn't believe there was anybody that is as qualified as Jews so you got all of this ethnic melting pot it was a city full of idolatry there were temples everywhere superstition reigned high you say well we're not superstitious in America really really have you, have you heard any of the conspiracy theories? You say, well, I just believe that somebody behind the scenes pulling the puppet. Well, how many of you know most of that is built in superstition? It's actually what the Bible teaches Christians. Please don't be caught up in conspiracies and controversies. So, you know, sometimes... Am I okay? Is, can I be your pastor today? Can I just talk? I mean, you know, sometimes we not only have to put a guard over our heart, sometimes we've got to put a guard over our fingers. Because we keep superstitiously 
leaning into things, believing that there's some powers out there that are working that's greater than the power of the Christ who's in you. So, so you had this city full of idolatry. You had this group of people stuck in superstition. They were at the very foot of Mount Olympus. So they, were, they recognized that Mount Olympus was really empty. None of the gods there was answering them. And it was a city full of immorality. How many of you know in that environment, God said the gospel is going to work? I ain't got no help. In that environment, the gospel is going to take root. And in that environment, the gospel is going to do powerful things. See, sometimes we believe that the whole world's gone to hell in a handbasket. And we believe it's useless to believe that anything different is going to happen. And what most church people do is they just hold out for the rapture, believing I don't care what happens here anyway. I'm getting out of here. But may I give you a late bulletin? You will probably go to your grave before you go in the rapture. And so you're going to live in the environment that you believe for. So you may as well go on and put your confidence in the Christ who's in you not just the Christ that's coming for you and learn to be the witness God's called us to be so we can influence the environment around us. Is anybody in the room going to help me? Somebody online ought to hit like over and over and over. I wish there was an amen button. Can we make an amen button? And how often do we look at our city and look at our nation and look at our neighborhoods or even look at the place where we work and feel absolutely powerless in our ability to bring positive influence in the world around us? Come on, how many times have we said to ourselves, there's too much to fix? It's too much to fix. It's too confusing. Who knows what to believe? It's much easier for me to withdraw. And because, listen to me closely, I'm going to read. Because we can't see any way to change things, then we come to the conclusion we can't change anything. I've heard parents say, well, teenagers are going to be teenagers. I've even heard church parents say, well, you know, kids are going to sow their wild oats. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? We just bought into a passive position that makes us accept the fact that we believe nothing can change. But I'm looking for witnesses today. I, I don't know, but I can look across this audience today and I, I can see some people that 10 years ago, you weren't sitting in church on Sunday morning. In fact, 10 years ago, you may not even know where you were at on Sunday morning. I'm looking across this room and I'm, I'm finding people whose marriages were on the rocks, but all of a sudden Jesus came and today your marriage is whole. I'm looking at parents today who had children that were wayward and away from God and today their children are serving Jesus. Why? Because I'm here to announce to you, because he lives, anything can change. So Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He only got to spend three weeks there. Can you imagine, can you imagine this? Just think with me for a minute. Can you imagine this? A city that had never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. A man shows up and in three weeks, a church is established that he can walk away from and it survives all the persecution, pressure, and opposition that the world can bring. I know Christians that have quit their faith in the last six months because they've had to be inside. Talk to me, somebody. You realize the most recent statistic that has been released in America, I get this stuff regularly, is that 30% of the Christians that were Christians in March are no longer actively involved in their faith in September. One third of the church in America says we'll never return not only to a building, we're not even returning to faith. It's time for some witnesses. So Paul writes to them, and here's what he says. 
He says in verse number six, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. I'm not going to lean into that, but how many of you know somebody had to lead you to Jesus? Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. And your faith towards God has gone out so that they do not need to say, I don't even need to say anything about it. For they themselves, meaning the people who heard your testimony, declare concerning what matter of entry we had into you and how now you have turned to God from idols and you're now serving the living and the true God. Wow. Here's what Paul said. Give me, give me just a couple of minutes. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I had the privilege of talking to you about Jesus. You didn't know who he was, but I came and announced him. And because you believed our message, your life was radically changed. A city's been turned upside down. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says this, that those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Do you realize who they were talking about? They were not talking about Roman armies. They were not talking about great Greek philosophers. They were not talking about people that had incredible wealth. They were talking about a group of fishermen off of the seashores of the Mediterranean who actually got belief in a man named Jesus. And they were so sure that he was the Messiah that they went everywhere talking about him to the point that armies couldn't stop them. Wealth couldn't stop them. Persecution couldn't stop them. Disease couldn't stop them. Prison couldn't stop them because they believed he truly was the answer for the world. And they witnessed to that everywhere they went. I sometimes believe that in our culture, we sort of just add Jesus on to who we are. We have this set of things over here that we deal with life about. And then we add Jesus onto it, sort of to make us socially acceptable. But the truth of the matter is, these men who turned the world upside down, wow, were common, ordinary people. They were fishermen, tax collectors, actually people that were, if you want to get really serious about the, the 12 apostles, they were actually part of inland militia groups. They were zealots. But they were so radically changed because of Jesus that they no longer testified about their political persuasion. They testified about the one who had changed their life. Maybe we're talking about the wrong thing. There's a couple of things I want you to know. Don't miss this. Influence, everybody shout influence. Influence travels through relationships. You cannot influence anything you're not in close proximity to. Now, watch this. The old timers used to say it this way if you have high potency and close proximity, you're going to have major impact. Let me say that again. If you have high potency and close proximity, you're going to have major impact. So if we are up close to things and there's no impact, maybe we need to check our potency. Maybe we're on Christian decaffeinated or Christian light. And we need to go back to Acts chapter 1 and believe that the reason we can be witnesses is because we become endued with power from on high. But if you have high potency and close proximity, there should be high impact taking place because you can't influence anything you're not close to. Shout influence. Put this on the screen for me. If you would, put this word on the screen. Influence. 
this is an easy illustration because we're living this right now. Anybody ever heard of COVID-19? Hold your hand up if you ever heard of COVID-19. How many of you today took precautions to make sure that you were not infected by COVID-19? Let me see your hand. Where you at? You washed your hands. You wore face masks. You distanced. We're sitting all apart from each other in here today. Why? Because somebody told us it's what? It's contagious. Do you realize the word influence and the word influenza? All the same word. And the same way that the flu or the virus travels is the same way the gospel travels. It travels through social contact, speaking, touching, you infect other people. I wonder what would happen if we got contagious with Jesus. Because see, fear's contagious. I ain't got no help. Let me try that over here. I said, fear's contagious. How I many of you know you can't stay depressed if you're around somebody that's really joyful because joy's contagious? How many of you know that love can be contagious? Negativity can be contagious. Christians should be the most contagious people in the world. That means if you get near me, I have a high potency of life on the inside of me. And the closer you get to me, the potency of life in me is going to affect you in some way. You may not ever tap into it, but you will never be able to deny it's there because I am contagious. And somehow, I think, I'm not sure, but I, I sort of was praying about this yesterday. I think hell has come up with a way to quarantine Christians. It's too dangerous right now. It's a political nightmare. And so what we do is we realize that what we've been talking about are things that are offensive rather than life-giving. Because the way he quarantines us is to make us reduce our message to something less than what it really is. I've decided, Kathy and I worked with our outreach team in City Reach and Malachi has helped us and CC, give me those right here. I've got a couple of hundred of these today. I want to give them to everybody as you leave. I want you to put them in your yard. It says kindness, courage, and love are contagious. Not only is COVID-19 contagious, but I'm even no courage is contagious. I'm even no kindness is contagious. I, maybe, maybe I can change my neighborhood if I just smiled at my neighbors rather than fussing at them about their yard. Maybe love can be contagious in my household if I'll just find a way to say, you know what? I, I want you to know I forgive you. I'm not gonna hold. I'm not gonna keep score. I'm not gonna hold grudges because it is contagious, and I choose to be a contagious Christian. On the other side, it says, come on, shout that out loud. I want, I want to see every person going out of the parking lot have one of these in your hand. I want to ride through every city in Oklahoma City. I want to ride through every neighborhood. Find these everywhere. If we run out today, we have already, already told the guy, said, I'll order a few hundred more next time. If you're online and you want them, if you'll, talk, if you'll, if you'll put it in the chat line, We'll find out a way for you to come by and pick it up at the office this week. We'll actually leave it outside so you won't have to touch nobody. Hallelujah. Come on, is anybody ready to be contagious? Because it's time for our world to be turned. I have not, I, I've not give up on America. I've not give up on Oklahoma City. I've not give up on this generation. I've not give up on our families. I've not give up on Gen Zers. I've not give up on millennials.
miracles. I believe that everything is changeable. It's just looking for a witness who will stand up and say, I believe the report of the Lord, and I'm going to declare that report. Somebody shout amen. So here's what Paul said about these people in Thessalonica about being contagious. Write it down quickly. First thing he said was this. He said, you're a contagious example. He said, you became examples. That word's interesting. The word example there is the word tupos. T-U-P-O-S. It literally means something that has been formed by a blow or an impression. It's like you had putty and you put your fist in it and you make a, a hole in it. You make an impression in Play-Doh. Or it was actually used in those days about somebody that would take a signet ring on hot wax and make an impression in the wax. Here's what he said. He said, you were so much Christ followers that everywhere you went, you left a mark. You left an impression. What would happen if Christians so left impressions that when people saw us coming, they'd go, here comes hope. Here comes good news. Rather than the guy at the 7-Eleven where you're getting gas goes, oh God, here he comes again. The other day I was getting a little frustrated with somebody in line. I'm sure nobody ever does that. I'm just talking about myself. And my wife said to me, she whispered to me, she said, they're watching you. And I went, they don't know me. She says, they're going to watch you on television. And they're going to think, I can't hear his words because of the impression he made with his actions. They left a contagious example. I pray that when we leave here today, here's my prayer. Here's what I'm praying about in this series. I'm praying that when we leave here, the gate church, do you realize I believe this house is supposed to be overflowing with people coming to Christ. I, I, I had a vision a couple months ago where the Lord just showed me a table spread and he said, people are coming broken, maimed, forgotten, rejected, disillusioned, dis disappointed, discouraged. They were coming from everywhere to sit at the table and eat at the things that the master had provided for them in the midst of their disappointment and frustration. And he said to me, Christians that are satisfied are not going to come to the table. But those who are hungry are going to come to the table. And those who didn't know where to find an answer are going to come to the table. So don't be discouraged when Christians don't come, but look for the harvest that's about to come. I'm here to tell you, I'm praying that we as the church will leave this building and be contagious with life. Be contagious with hope. Be contagious with compassion and empathy and positive attitudes and faith so that we leave an impression on our world. Come on, church. It is not that hard to give a kind word. It's not that hard to give somebody a word of encouragement. It's not that hard to live what you say you believe. One person can shift an environment. One person can make an impression. I had a guy that, he was this guy that, he was really sort of an awkward kind of guy. I'm not even gonna call his name. He was a pastor. He was having an event. And every time I would show up at different places, he would come and he followed me around everywhere. And he just wanted to talk and talk. And I was like, can somebody just find a way to distract him or somebody get me out of here? Because he would go with me everywhere I went. And I would, I would try my best to just be kind and then to get on because I felt like, I don't know what he wants. And he invited me one day to an event he was having. And I was trying to figure out how to get through telling him I'm not going to be able to come. Because, you know, I, I had to learn a long time ago that no's are more important than yeses. That you really never fulfill what's in your life if you don't learn how to say no. 
he kept asking me every time he'd see me, are you coming? I'm counting on you to come. Bishop, I want you to be there. And it came the day when he finally said to me, are you coming? And I said, no, I'm sorry. I won't be able to come. I really have something else I need to do that day. That's what I prepared to tell him. And I heard these words come out of my mouth. Yes, I'll be there. And I'm like, I need somebody to pray the prayer of deliverance over me because there's two people inside of me, I think. I said, yes, I'll be there. I'll never forget, I went to the event and it started and I waited on people to come and I waited on people to come and about five minutes after it started, about 10 or 12 other people wandered in. And I was the only pastor there. Got up and did what he was doing and when it was over, he stood up and said to the whole crowd that was there, he said, I want to introduce all of you to Bishop Tony Miller. He is my best friend. He's made more impression on my life than anybody ever known. I was put in an orphanage when I was 12 years old and I never really knew my parents. And he said, I invited 150 other preachers to come. None of them as busy as he is. And only he came. And I just began, I got in my car and I got ready to leave and I started to weep. And I said, Lord, I didn't know I was his best friend. I had no clue the impression I was making. Paul said, you've become contagious by your example. Then he said, you have a contagious message. I got a video I'm about to show you. Here's what he said. He said, because from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Do you realize he was saying, the word of the Lord came to this city, not by me as an apostle. The word of the Lord came from you at schoolhouses and office buildings, grocery stores, neighborhood events. It sounded forth. You know, there's a quote that's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, even though there's absolutely no proof that he ever said it, and many people doubt if he ever did say it. But it's attributed to him, so I'll, I'll attribute it to him. And it goes like this. At all times, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. And while that statement bears certain validity, it has become the excuse for Christians to not be verbal. Well, I don't want to say anything. I just want to live my life. Do you know what? You can be somebody that is exceptional and everybody around you believe you're exceptional, but they have no clue why if you don't say anything. Don't miss what I'm about to say because the gospel is not a doctrine to be studied. The gospel is an announcement to be made. The word gospel itself, literally, good news means literally to share something that's been done. It's verbal. Paul said to the Romans, how can you believe on whom you've never heard? There's a lot of people walking through life that are moral, good people. But they never change a life. What changes a life is when you share the message. He said, you were contagious with your message. The word of the Lord sounded out through you. In other words, say something. Quit living invisible. Quit living silent. Say something.
Don't argue. Don't debate. Just say something. Say what heaven is saying. Here's what heaven is saying. I'm madly in love with you. My goodness is chasing you down. I'm working on your behalf. Anything you can believe is possible. Say what heaven is saying. Sometimes it would make a difference in our culture if we could quote heaven as much as we've quoted our famous, our most loved commentator. Finally, he said this. He said, you were contagious in your example. You were contagious in your message. You were also contagious in your impact. Because he said, they themselves declared how because of the message, they've now turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. Our willingness to just influence one person, just one of you in this room today, please hear me, just one of you in this room today has the capacity to influence so many people that this room cannot contain them. Kathy had the privilege of growing up in a great church. Kathy didn't grow up in a small church. Kathy's home church in the mid-70s ran thousands of people. They'd have 10,000 people on Sunday, Christmas time. Most of the year, they ran multiple thousands of people. Part of the reason was is because their church was very evangelistic. But the need was the call. Somebody said, well, I wish I could figure out what my calling is. Look around you. Do you see any needs? The need is your call. And because she had a youth pastor who today leads the largest Sunday school in the world. 250,000 children gather every Sunday under his leadership. I've been friends with him for years. He's been here. He's coming next year to the gate again. He leads Metro Children in Brooklyn, New York. His name is Bill Wilson. He told a story recently at a funeral that my mother-in-law was at. I asked him would he share it with us today. Watch the screens as they roll this video. Morning, folks. Hi, Pastor. It was good talking to you the other day. And when you asked me to convey something that had happened to me, it's been just over a week ago now, um, I was quick to say yes. Yes, because of the relationship that you and I have. Yes, because that story and the incident that happened to me was close to me and uh, it affected me. And I know that when you heard about it, it affected you in hopes that uh, it'll connect with some of you that are watching today. Because it was just, just a week ago that uh, I was asked to do a funeral of a very unique man. And again, unique, sometimes a bit of an overused word in our culture, and I get that, but it'll make more sense as you hear the story. Because for those of you that know me, you don't know bits and pieces of this, but for those of you that aren't familiar with myself or our ministry here in Brooklyn, New York, then uh, I believe it'll It'll maybe help you to see something through a, through a different set of eyes. Because I have to take you back to 1960. My mother, who was an alcoholic, left me on a street corner. She said, you wait here. I was 12 years old. She walked away. She never came back. I sat on that corner for three days. No food no water, and as all of you, I'm sure, would understand, 
during that three-year period of time, anybody could have picked me up. Could have been a gang member, a drug dealer, a pedophile. Anyone could have stopped. And that would have put my life in a whole different direction. But on that third afternoon, the only person that did stop, because no one did, hundreds drove by, hundreds walked by, finally one person stopped. And the person that did stop was an ordinary Christian. Operative word, ordinary. Ordinary. Wasn't a preacher. Wasn't an evangelist. Wasn't someone that someone would maybe think that would have been the person that stopped. Just an ordinary Christian. In fact, he was on his way to the hospital to see his own dying son who's dying of leukemia. And yet, in his own need, in his own battle, in his own struggle, please don't miss this, folks. In his own struggle, he got out of his car, walked across the street to where I'd been sitting, put his hand on my shoulder and just asked me, are you okay? That's it, are you okay? And I used to stutter. Horribly, horribly, when I was little. And I tried to explain to him, my mother was gone and I was just hungry. Immediately, immediately, he didn't have to go to a conference, didn't have to go to a seminar. But when I told him, I was just hungry. He got me some food and water, got on the phone, and five hours later, five hours later from this what kind of a meeting would we call this? This abstract meeting with a little boy on a street corner that nobody wanted? You want to call it that? You can call it whatever you want. But five hours after this man stopped and asked me if I was okay, he is now loading me in a church van, sponsors me to go to a Sunday school camp Remember, I've never been to church in my life, never heard the story of Jesus in my life. So now I'm in this Pentecostal Sunday school camp, heard the story of Jesus for the first time. I didn't understand everything. I didn't get it. I'd never heard or seen anything like this. But when the man that was speaking that night at the camp said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come to the front. I didn't understand all the theological implications of that, but I knew something was not right. I knew I needed something. I got out of my seat, walked to the front. The altar was packed. Every kid that was there at the front to give their life to Christ had a counselor. You know how we do. Praying with the kids, leading them to the Lord. I was the only kid who didn't have a counselor. You know why nobody would pray for me. It took me a couple of days, but I kept asking until at least somebody was honest with me. You know why nobody prayed for me. Of course you do. I still had the same clothes on that that man picked me up off the street in because I didn't have any of the clothes. Very sickly, dirty. Nobody wanted to pray with the little dirty boy. So nobody did. But I remembered as I was just sitting there watching the other kids being prayed for, I heard the speaker say, if you don't know what to say, just say, I love you, Lord, and help me. I thought I could do that. And that night, at the front of that camp, all by myself, I said, Lord, I'm not good. I'm not doing good. I don't feel good. I said, I have nothing to give you. But if you want me, here I am. I give myself to you. And that night, listen to me, that night, all by myself, right there at the front of that camp, for the first time in my life, I felt like somebody loved me. Something happened that put my life on a whole different trajectory. And now, and now, 
and I'll be 73 years old in a couple of weeks. Been a lot of years since that night that I came to the front in that Sunday school camp. But after all these years, the little boy that nobody wanted is now the pastor of the largest Sunday school in the world. 250,000 a week in Sunday school. It's all over the world. But how did that happen? It happened when one ordinary Christian, one, one, not the crowd, not the congregation, but one, one man who had every reason to keep on walking, to keep on going, to pass me by like everyone else had for those three days. You want to talk about the power of one? How much time do you have? I am a living example of the power of one. What can happen when an ordinary Christian in the middle of all their struggles, in the middle of them thinking they're not important, in the middle of them thinking I'm just an insignificant person just going about my daily life? I get it, folks. But understand today, big doors open on very small hinges. It's the little things that I believe, and after I've seen in practice in these 50 years of ministry that I've had, that God puts little things in front of ordinary folks like me and you every day. And if we're sharp enough, if we're quick enough to see that need, that thing, that open little spot, and we respond to that, what, what could happen? That man whom I did his funeral for last week. Yeah. yeah. I've done a lot of funerals in my 50 years of ministry. That funeral I did for Dave Dennis, the man who picked me up off the street, was the toughest one I've ever done. Because I'm not sure even the people there at the funeral even understood what that one man really did what he put into motion because I've learned and some of you know this it's not so much what you accomplish in life as what you put into motion that day on a street corner he put something into motion in my life that has now gone around the world around the world yeah. so what is the power of one power of the Holy Ghost in you that sees that the need is the call. We talk about waiting for God to call us. He already has. The need is the call. You see a need and you can feel that today. That, my friends, that's the call of God for you today. You don't have to have all the resources. You don't have to have all the knowledge. I've got a PhD from the University of Wales. But you know what? In all my formal education and all that, that PhD didn't teach me how to drive a Sunday school bus here in New York City to pick up poor kids, to bring them to Sunday school, to hear the same story I heard when that man sponsored me to that camp. That's why people see me drive the bus and do what I do, go to these other countries, starting Sunday schools all over the world. They say, why do you do it? Why do you still drive the bus? Doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But now, you guys know why I drive the bus, right? You know now, because every weekend when I drive that bus, you know who I'm picking up, don't you? Yeah, I'm picking up me. That was me. That was me on the corner. So now I've spent my entire life doing the same thing for kids all over the world that that man did for me. He was one person, but the power in one supersedes anything that most of us could even imagine because we think it's all about what goes on on the platform. It's all about what happens on a larger scale. No, it isn't. It's about when one person, ordinary people, just like me and you, 
Remember, I was the kid that nobody wanted. You want to talk about ordinary? You're looking at it today. But that one person, my one person, can do some things through the power of the Holy Spirit that most of us would have never imagined. And I stood in that church a week ago doing that funeral to honor that man that picked me up and everybody else that was at that funeral might not have understood who he really was, but I did. I did. And there's 250,000 kids that hear the story of Jesus every week because the ordinary man, the one ordinary man, chose to stop for me. I think all of you, all of you can make a decision today. I hope, I believe, to be just one, one. Because there's still a little boy sitting on a corner and you know that little girl being abused today. You know that. I hope and I pray before I talk to you today that somehow the Holy Spirit would put in your heart the same thing that he put in the heart of that man that picked me up off the street corner. I believe it. And together. God bless you. God bless you. I'll get to talk to you again soon. Hallelujah. Stand with me, would you? I've prayed for Bill when bullets have gone through his jaw and through his face because every Thursday night he spends night under the bridge talking to homeless people. 13 staff members have died in his arms for one reason because they believe a city is worth reaching that there are no unimportant people the book of revelation says to the church in Laodicea it says I advise you to buy from me ISAV. Because see, what happens is when our hearts get cold or lukewarm, we lose sight of the divine moments that are around us. I don't believe Dave believed that he was stopping to pick up a world-changing evangelist. I think he believed he was helping a 12-year-old boy who was hungry. Bill didn't tell it in the video, but Dave didn't even have the $17.50 to send him to kids' camp. So he went next door to his neighbor and said, can I borrow till I get paid? $17. I want to make an investment in this boy. Nobody can measure the dimensions of your influence. Nobody can say today, the waitress you'll talk to at lunch or him, what they'll become. I can guarantee you this, that the divine opportunity that God presents to you will seem very disproportionate to the eternal value it will have. We keep looking for big moments. I was getting gas the other day and the guy at the pump said to me, are you Bishop Miller? I said, yeah. He said, years ago I heard you preach. He said, I don't walk with Jesus today. My marriage is a mess. And you know what? What could easily become a moment of inconvenience turned into a divine moment. We exchanged numbers. 
I prayed for him that day. I shared with him the good news. Jesus can work your life out. Doesn't matter that you've walked away from him. He's never walked away from you. What will your influence be? Who is worthy of what you're contagious with? I hope it's everybody you come in contact with. Every person I pass today has an eternity. And they're going to spend it either with God or away from God. And I may be their bridge over troubled waters. And if I fail to be that witness, I wonder what their life will be. Jesus, I pray today that we'll recognize that you're not looking for great evangelists and well-known pastors and authors, celebrities. You're just looking for ordinary people who'll be the one. Lord, I pray that the gate church We have such a shift in our mindset that we'll be willing to stop for the little boys on the side of the corner, the businessman that's struggling, the teacher that's overwhelmed, our neighbor that's going through a terminal illness. Lord, I pray that you'll awaken us to divine moments. Would you just pray that prayer with me in whatever way you want to? Would you say, Lord, I'm buying ISF today. Anoint my eyes that I can see. Don't let me, don't let my eyes be blind. Let my heart be hot. I want high potency living. God, anoint my eyes today. Let me see our city. Let me see our culture. Let me see the generation I've been called to differently. Because you've set my heart on fire. Lord, may my life be used. I'm praying for Tony right now. Lord, may my life be used to bring somebody to you. You said, he that wins souls is wise. So, Father, today we want to be wise people. Teach us how to lead people to Christ and to the Christ way. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to do something that it's going to be very difficult for us to do, and I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. We're trying our best to maintain all kinds of social distancings, but... I think there's this building's a big building. If you're at home watching online, I want you to do something right now as an act of faith. But if you're willing to say, God, I'm this week, my eyes are going to be open. I'm going to start being a witness. I want to be contagious. I want to be contagious with the love of God. I want to be contagious with compassion. If that's you. I want you just to step to a front, step to the aisle, step in the back aisle, make some kind of move. When I get to three, I just want you to make some kind of move because I'm going to pray and release an anointing over lives today. One, two, three. That's me. Come on, just move wherever you're at. Make a move. Don't stand in your pew. Make a move. Step somewhere. In Jesus' name, if that's you today, step in an aisle, stay distance from people. Holy Spirit, I thank you today. Would you lift both hands to heaven? God, I pray. Come on, just pray with me, church. Just pray for a moment. We're we're finished, but just pray with me for a moment. Holy Ghost, use this house. Use us. Use us to see the world be different. 
of one life. God, today may we be contagious as an example. May we be contagious with a message. May we be contagious because the impact is going everywhere. I pray today for people all over this room and all over the city that they will turn from idols to the true and living God. I pray that they'll turn from everything that's enslaved them to the true and living God. I pray that they'll turn from false realities and false philosophies to the true and living God. Lord, today our hope is not just that they'll live a good life, but they'll live in Christ. Lord, what would it be if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I pray today in the name of Jesus that you'll not let us buy the lie that just because we're successful, we're safe. I pray in the name of Jesus today that our heart will burn with a compassion for a lost world. Help us today to be your representatives, your people. Lord, you put us in the earth to represent who you are. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that those that are watching online and those that are watching uh, in their homes and those that are in this facility, I pray in the name of the Lord, let the anointing of the Holy Ghost rest upon them today. I pray that Acts chapter 1, may we be endued with power from on high, that we can truly be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth in the name of Jesus. Now, would you lift your voice? Come on, just for two minutes. I want you to pray out loud. Say, God, use me. Use me this week. Show me something this week. Come on, just ask him to do it. Do you know, I deal with preachers that have never led anybody to Jesus outside of a pulpit. I pray today in the name of the Lord that the gate church will be contagious with the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. Father, thank you for that anointing in the name of the Lord. Now, Father, I pray over this house today as they leave. I thank you that you're going to open doors. You're going to give opportunities. And I pray that as we discern them, that you'll show yourself strong. Lord, we're not trying to get notches on our belts to say we did this for people this week. But we're trying to be sensitive to your spirit and to release your life everywhere we go. Help us to be influencers today in the name of Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he lift his countenance upon you. May he shine his grace and favor. May you see his goodness in all that you do. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen. Amen and amen.